0: When Christians approach Mark chapter 9 verses 42 to 50, the tendency is to ignore the context. Some commentators see the section as unconnected from the previous verses and so treat it as some isolated proverbial sayings. Preachers also often ignore the context. They do so in order to preach a general sermon on killing sin or on hell. The danger of missing the context is that we miss Jesus Christ's particular teaching in this section. You see, verses 33 to verse 50 is one connected unified discourse. Christ is teaching a consistent theme. How do disciples treat each other? There are certain grammatical inputs that connect together. It could be conjunctions such as and or for which continue the discussion. It could be whosoever repeated again and again and again for the general call to discipleship. And we see the word used for disciples as child, children, little ones. Verses 33 to verse 50 is one unified discourse, not an unconnected, isolated proverbial sayings. And when you understand this, you can now come to know Christ's particular point in verses 42 to 50. He is concerned with the sin of offending. And he says this, Disciples who offend fellow believers and do not repent and kill their sin of offense shall be cast into hell. Disciples who offend fellow believers and do not repent and kill the sin of offense, they shall be cast. Into hell. So does it teach us generally we should kill sin? Yes, it does. Does this passage teach us generally about hell? Yes, it does. But what's Christ's particular message? The sin of offense. This morning, we simply want to look at this passage from the sense of a what. What does this mean? And then this evening... We'll look at the how. How can we as Christians kill the sin of offence? And so information, instruction today, this morning, and tonight, application. And our three headings for this morning are, one, the sin of offending the brethren, two, the meaning of offending the brethren, and three, the seriousness of offending the the brethren. So first of all the sin of offending the brethren. And when you read this section you'll see the word offend is the key word. It's used four times. In verse 42 it says whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. In verse 43 if thy hand offend thee. Verse 45 if thy foot Offend thee. And again in verse 47, if thine eye offend thee. So offending is the key word. Christ's particular concern here is offending fellow believers. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones. Now here there's a particular meaning and a general application. The particular is Christians who have a low, humble status and are more vulnerable to be disrespected and rebuked by other believers of a greater status. That's the primary meaning here. That's why he says child, children, little ones. But generally speaking, it applies to every believer. As John says throughout 1 John, uh, uh, Christians are little children. So the particular meaning is low, humble Christians, but the general application is every Christian. And you remember the context. Verse 37. Jesus says, whosoever shall receive one of these children in my name receives me. So Christians who are low and of a humble status, receive them. Don't disrespect them. Don't offend them. But there's a problem. John's committed the sin of offense. There was a man who was casting out devils in the name of Jesus Christ. And what did John do? Rebuked him. Stop it. Don't do that. You're not one of us. And Christ rebukes John. Don't forbid him. Don't forbid him. In fact, if anyone gives just a wee cup of water in my name, I am pleased with that person. Accept that person. And therefore, you should accept and receive them too. And then in verse 42, black and white, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, fellow believers that believe in me. But then you read on. There's a great sin here. There's no encouragement. There's no gentle instruction. There's no gospel imperative, therefore, sorry, gospel indicative, therefore imperative. It is straight, no nonsense, warning, exhortation, urging, threatening. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. If you offend any child of God, this would be better for you then what will happen to you? If you offend another child of God, it will be better of you if a millstone was hung around your neck, you were taken to the middle of the sea, you were thrown overboard, and you would suffer and drown in a most agonizing way. The millstone was the top stone that would grind grain. It would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It was set on a smaller stone called the bedstone. Grain would be poured on top of the millstone through a hole and it is so heavy no man could turn it. So they had animals like donkeys attached to it The donkeys would go round and push this huge, massive stone to grind the grain. And if you, disciple, Jesus says, offend another believer, it's better for you, comparison, that this millstone was put around your neck and you suffered an agonizing death in drowning. Because what's worse is this, hell. He speaks of hell and hell fire. He speaks of the fire that is unquenchable. He speaks of the worm that dieth not. This is much greater suffering, agony, pain, torment compared to having a millstone round your neck and drowning In agony. And Jesus Christ wants his disciples to know this. It is a sin to offend the brethren. And if you offend the brethren, you'll be cast into hell. Now, when Christ teaches this very solemn and sober. Instruction in verse 42, we need three important distinctions and clarifications. Clarification number one disciples and the visible church. The visible church is mixed with false disciples and true disciples, wheat and tares, wise and foolish virgins. Uh, slothful and faithful servants, sheep and goats. And it's how one lives their life, demonstrate whether they're false or true. Because the whole point of the visible church is everyone professes Jesus. A true disciple has grace in his or her heart, loves the brethren, hates Sin and will live a consistent life as a testimony. And they will not live a life that offends the brethren. A false believer does not have grace in his or her heart. A false believer, a false disciple is unregenerate and hates others. And there will be evidences of a life characterized by offending the brethren and on the day of judgment those who have offended the brethren shall go to hell and those who have lived a life that does not offend the brethren shall go to glory. Matthew chapter 13 41 is speaking of the wheat and the tares then Christ comes and judgment the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom that's the visible kingdom all things that offend. And what happens to those who offend? They shall be cast into a furnace of fire. And so how you live your life is a testimony to whether you have grace or not in your soul. True disciples will not live a life that offends the brethren. Second clarification. Disciples and repentance. We're not speaking here of sinless perfectionism here. This sin has been committed by John. Verse 38. He offended his brethren as he rebuked him for serving Christ. How much of an offense was Peter? when he wouldn't dare sit next to a Gentile or eat food with them when another Jew was around? Are they in hell? Of course not. Is this the unforgivable sin? No, it's not. There's one sin that cannot, not cannot, will not be forgiven. And that one unforgivable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. This is not it. And so if someone does commit this sin, then through repentance, there's forgiveness. And that's the context Luke actually gives us. If you turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 1 says, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Okay? So you can't stop it. There will be offenses. Then the warning. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Warning. But then look at the next verse in forgiveness. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, which includes the sin of offense, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And though that is, of course, horizontal forgiveness, I have no doubt it includes vertical forgiveness. And so, most of us probably have, one time or another, committed a sin. But through repentance, there is the full forgiveness of sins, and that's Christ's blood. It cleanseth from all sin. And when you see the obedience and the agony of our Lord and Calvary's cross crucified for sinners, one of the sins in which he died for is the sin of offense. And when we repent from this sin and turn to the Lord, there is the full free pardon in the gospel of grace. But how do you know you're truly repentant? You live new, obedient lives. And the evidence that you're living a new, obedient life is that you're killing sin. Is that not the context here, 43 to 48? If your hand offend thee, cut it, uh, to cut it off. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, look at the if then, look at the clauses. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die, false believer. But if you through the Spirit mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So how do you know someone is spiritually dead and spiritually alive? Yes, it's faith in Christ, but evidenced by living in sin or killing sin. And so Jesus Christ is saying here, if you're a true disciple, if you're a true believer, what will you do? If you've committed the sin, you'll repent of it for the full pardon of your sins and the evidence. You'll hate the sin and you will kill it. And we'll look at that this evening. Third clarification. Discipleship and gospel threatenings. This is just a pure threat. If you offend these little ones, it is better for you that a millstone hangs around your neck and you're cast into the sea. Threatenings are part of grace, not law. There, there are law threatenings. Don't de- not denying that. There are gospel threatenings, and there are means of grace to keep the people of God faithful. In Hebrews chapter 3, it quotes Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, lest you do not enter into his rest. And then it shows you the history, how many people, visible church Israel, did not hearken, and they did not enter his rest, and they would go to hell. And then, The writer says, you, visible church, you who profess Christ, you who are professing to be a true disciple, do not disobey or you'll not enter his rest. Hebrews chapter 4, 1 to 2. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to be coming short of it. For unto us the gospel is preached, As well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So this threatening is for you, because if you receive it by faith and you obey, it will be a means of keeping you straight and narrow on the way to glory. And so Jesus Christ is using this as a gospel threatening you, Peter, you, John, you, Matthew. If you offend and do not kill your sin of offense, you will go to hell. And it will be better for you that a millstone is around your neck and cast into the sea. And therefore, the true disciples... Peter, John, and Matthew. Though they may commit this sin, they'll repent of it, they'll kill it, and they'll live a consistent life of loving the brethren. And so hopefully these three clarifications can soothe tender consciences, instruct us what Christ is not saying and is saying, but still nevertheless leave us with the tone of Christ. The sin of offending the brethren is a great sin. And if you continue in it, you shall go to hell. Now secondly, what is the sin of offence? We've stated it, but we've not defined anything yet. What is the sin of offence? This is where we need a biblical definition, not the world's definition. How does the world define offending someone? Well, I went to a modern dictionary to find an objective standard of how the world defines offence. Now, this isn't the only definition, but it's one of the main ones, at least, that's used today. And the dictionary says, to cause offence is to cause someone to feel upset, be annoyed, or to be filled with resentment. Now, Christians should never, never seek to make anyone feel upset or annoy anyone or to cause anyone to resent them. We should never desire that or seek that. But feeling upset about someone, being annoyed by someone and resenting someone is not in and of itself, biblically speaking, to offend anyone. Sadly today, if you tell the truth with careful words and in a loving manner, and that causes someone to be upset by what you said, be annoyed by what you said, or to be full of resentment about what you said, that's offense. It's not the Bible's offense. And sadly, Christians today, we know when we tell the truth the truth, carefully, and lovingly, people will be upset, they'll be annoyed, they'll resent. It's been increasing, increasing, increasing in society. We all know it. But biblically speaking, that is not the word offense. So what biblically speaking is this word offense here in this passage? Well, we've looked at the Greek word before. It's the word we usually get the word Scandal, scandal, which means to cause someone to stumble, a snare or a trap to cause someone to fall. That's what the word means. And therefore, Jesus is saying to offend a brother or sister is that you are the cause of them stumbling. You are the snare. You are the trap that causes a brother or sister to fall. And a full definition of the sin of offense is this, and it's in your bulletin. The sin of offending the brethren is a word or deed that becomes a snare to either sin or weaken faith. An offense is when a believer enables or encourages a brother or sister to sin through words and deeds of commission or omission. An offense is when a believer's words or deeds cause a brother or sister's faith to stumble Be led astray or fall. This is the sin of offending the brethren. And when you look at this word offense, it is used when you cause to sin or to weaken faith. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19 to verse 30, The word offend is used twice. And offend there is a cause to sin and break God's law. Verse 19 says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. And then Jesus gives examples of breaking the commandments, adultery, murder. And as he speaks of the sin of adultery in verses 28 to 30, twice he uses the one "offend." If you commit adultery in the heart or in action, he says it is an offense. And so applying that in this situation, when you are the cause to encourage or enable someone else to sin and break God's law, you're responsible, you're culpable, and you commit the sin of offense. But it doesn't have to be something unlawful. It could be something good and lawful and true. But you hurt the conscience of a brother. Romans chapter 14. Some believers know the truth that all foods are clean. Some believers have moved on from the Old Testament ceremonial laws and don't have to keep the feasts anymore. Other believers are not so sure about that. They don't want to eat this food and they don't want to drink this drink because they don't want to sin against God they're wrong but that's what they believe and Paul comes to the Romans and says see you who do things in front of others and their conscience is weakened and humbled and their faith is being affected by it you're sinning the sin of offence He says in Romans fourteen twenty, all things indeed are pure. So everything's clean. But it is evil for that man who eateth with offence. If you eat with offence, it's evil. Not the thing you're eating is, but because you're hurting your brother's conscience. It is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine, nor anything whereby a brother stumbleth, or is offended. Or is made weak. So something good and lawful and true, but used the wrong way before another brother or sister, you commit the sin of offense. Now, what are some examples of sinning the sin of offense? Well, just like Matthew chapter 5, if you are living in a sin, And another brother or sister sees it. And you are the enablement or the encouragement for them to sin. You're guilty of the sin of offense. Or as Matthew 5.19 says. If you teach someone else wrongly that something's not a sin but it is then you don't only sin, but you sin the sin of offence because they're listening to your error. And you're leading them astray. And now they're going to do things which are actually sinful, but because they've heard the false teaching, they're going to do it too. The speech can be full of it. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying, that it may administer grace unto the hearers. When your own communication is full of corruptness or filthiness or vulgarity or profanity or swearing or cursing or worldly speech. And another believer hears it. And because they respect you and honor you and you're you're a good Christian or you're you're mature it must be okay. And they themselves start to say it's okay to say this word, it's okay to say that word. He did it, she did it. That's the sin of offending. You're causing another brother or sister to sin because of your corrupt communication. Or you could do it another way If your speech fails to be edifying. And it's worldly. And because they look to you and they start to be like you. And now their speech is unedifying and worldly. You've sinned because you've led them into it. Ephesians 5.3 says, speaking of speech, neither filthiness or foolish jesting or foolish talking. These things are not fitting, convenient, and appropriate. So let's say you have a believer and life's a laugh. Always cracking jokes. Wrong time, wrong situation. They're always light hearted. And another believer is in their presence and they start to take things as irreverently too and cracking jokes all the time. And they live a flippant life because of it. That person's committed the sin of offence because they've left that brother, led that brother or sister astray. James chapter 1 verse 19 speaks about being Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In your speech, you're very quick. Very quick to rebuke. Very quick to correct. Very quick to say, this is orthodox and right and that's wrong. When someone does something wrong, you're quick to tell them that's unorthodox and wrong. And another person sees it. Wow. They're zealous for the truth. And they start to be just like you, swift to speak, slow to hear, swift to anger. You've committed the sin of offence. You've led them astray by your swiftness and lack of love and respect. Or, as we mentioned in the Psalms, speaking truth unseasonably. Psalm 73 15. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. I'm struggling with the wicked prospering and God's role in it. I did not go and speak the truth unseasonably because another child of God's faith might have been hurt by it. There's a time and place. And so the general principle rising from that is speaking truth unseasonably. Sometimes you should not speak truth. And in fact, if you speak truth, you're sinning. It's not the right time. How do you know what's in the right time? It's called wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But when someone says something in error and you should keep quiet and you speak and correct them with truth, that may, may be unseasonably and it's wrong and it's sinful. You should say nothing. Meet them one-on-one sometime during the week and say, brother, what did you meet with that? Sister, could you please just develop what you said there? But you don't do that. You speak the truth unseasonably. Or you're in a fellowship. What's the purpose of a fellowship? To verify. And what questions come up? Polemical, controversial disputations. There's a time and a place in sincerity to ask questions that may be controversial. There's a time and a place. But when you're in a mixed multitude and not everyone's matured and developed and knowledgeable and knows that, you could lead another brother and sister and hurt their faith. Hurt their faith. Even though what you say is orthodox and true, but it's the wrong time to bring it up. There is another time, good times to bring it up, but not in mixed multitude times, because you could lead a brother or a sister astray. Their faith could be hurt by that. Zeal. Romans ten twenty two speaks of zeal, but not according to God uh, to, to to knowledge. So Paul's saying the Jews have a lot of zeal for God. They are zealous for the honour and glory of God, but it's not accompanied by knowledge and understanding and wisdom. So when you act in passion and zeal, but it's not done with knowledge, understanding and wisdom, you sin the sin of offence. Because you could hurt someone's faith. That's what zeal does without knowledge, understanding and wisdom. Too often in the church today they see a young man, he's read a bit of the Bible, he seems zealous. You should serve publicly. You should do this and you should do that. And in their zeal to help another Christian serve, it's not without wisdom. It's without wisdom, sorry. They have a young person or a young man serving too quickly. And as they're a novice, they're going to fall very quickly. The church is doing that all the time now. Or just Romans 14 and First Corinthians 8. You know something's right, biblically. And it is right, but another brother or sister will struggle with it. And you flaunt your liberty and your rights and your truth before them and their conscience is struggling now and their faith is dampened and hardened. You've committed the sin of offence. You have no problem with alcohol. Nothing wrong with a glass of wine or a bottle of beer or whatever. And there's another brother and sister and you either A, talk about it in front of them or B, they're in your home and you drink before them. You sin the sin of offence. That's different from someone who says, I don't like alcohol, nothing to do with it, but I know it's not a sin and if you want to do it, it's fine. That's fine, that's okay, it's different. They don't have a weak conscience there. But the person who does and you either talk about it in front of them or do it in front of them, even though they're actually wrong, you speaking or doing it in front of them causes their faith to be harmed. That's the sin of offending the brethren. And Jesus Christ is saying it in this passage so that disciples take it with the full amount of seriousness And kill it. Praise be to God if we do these sins. And as I've read them out, I have sinned these things. Studying this week, I can give concrete examples. Praise be to God, grace. Salvation is not by works, it's by grace. The full pardon of our sins. But it's not enough simply to be forgiven. Because all who are forgiven shall kill their sin and live godly. And before we come to tonight, how can we kill this sin? We must take this sin seriously. J.C. Ryle, when he's starting his book in holiness, and he speaks about uh, how can we grow in sanctification, he says this: He who would make great strides in holiness must first consider the greatness of sin. So, if I, you, we want to take great strides in holiness then we must take into consider the greatness of the sin. Think, first of all, how it harms your brother and sister. As it says in verse 42, whoever offends these little ones. If you are the cause, the snare, the trap to either lead someone else into sin or to weaken their faith and hurt their faith, you harm your brother and sister. And if you're a disciple, you love your brother and sister. You care about their conscience. And if you're anyone because of another believer has been led into sin, error, or harming your faith, you know how much it hurts you. So why would you want to do that against a brother and sister you love? So know the greatness of the sin by how much it hurts your brother and your sister in the faith. Second of all, know the greatness of the sin on how it offends Jesus Christ. Because as you offend your brother or sister, at the same time you're offending your saviour. Look at verse 37. Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receives me, and what's the implied opposite? Whosoever does not receive one of these little children, they do not receive me. You see, you attack the body, you attack the head. That's why in Acts chapter nine, when Paul so when Jesus Christ comes to Paul, he says, "Soul, soul." Who's Paul attacked? Who's Paul made havoc of? The church. The church. And therefore Jesus does not say, soul, soul, why persecutest thou my church? He says, soul, soul, why persecutest thou me? There's a union and communion between the child of God and Jesus Christ. You offend these little ones you offend me. And that's what happens in Matthew 25. When professing believers do not do their duty and help and love the brethren. As you did not do it to them, you did not do it to me. Matthew 25, 45. Verily I say unto you, and as much as you did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And so when you are the cause of leading another person astray or into sin or to hurt their faith, you're doing it directly to Christ too. And you love Christ. You live for him. And therefore, that should give you the seriousness of the greatness of this thing. Thirdly, This sin is not only worthy of hell, but all who do not repent and kill this sin will be cast into hell. That's what happens in verse 43 to 50. You don't deal with it. Hell. Again and again and again, Jesus Christ repeats his teachings. 43. He says that if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Christ is quoting his Old Testament, really. The very last verse in Isaiah, chapter sixty six, twenty four: 24. They shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Hell is a place God is created for his glory so that he would exercise his holiness and justice against unrepentant sinners. And in this hell there is a fire that cannot be quenched because the fire is the wrath of God that cannot be quenched. He is infinite and immutable, so in hell his wrath is infinite and immutable. The worm dieth not was the worms that would eat the bodies of dead people and their carcasses. It speaks of the gnawing and the eating away of the conscience in hell in soul-suffering agony. And Christ is saying the sin of offending the brethren is worthy of hell and fire that is not quenched and the worm that dieth not. And if you stay and remain and continue and do not repent and do not kill your son and kill the hand that offends and kill the eye that offends and kill the foot that offends, you will go to hell. That's serious. That's serious. And remember, this is a gospel-threatening. And therefore we, the people of God, believe it and we obey him. So this morning, take the sin of offending the brethren very, very serious. Know that it is a pardonable sin, praise be to God. But all true disciples Will hate this sin and kill it and live a general life of peace with the brethren. How do we do that this evening, Lord willing? Let us pray.